Yo, and welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 39. I'm Tim Malcolm, the host of the podcast and the editorial director of philliesnation.com. Go to philliesnation.com today for all of your Phillies news, rumors, opinion, information, and much more. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation, Twitter at philliesnation, and Instagram at philliesnation underscore. This will be the first of a new experiment we're trying this season. Every two Mondays, we will do the Phillies Nation Monday minicast, in which we do a shorter podcast just going over the events of the last week in Phillies baseball. We will still have the regular podcast every two Mondays as well, just on alternating Mondays. So the official podcast will be next Monday. This will be the first Monday minicast. And we have a lot to talk about, obviously, with the Phillies starting the 2018 season on a very interesting foot. People already asking for Gabe Kapler's firing. I will tell you why you should not go to those extremes quite yet. Plus, we'll talk also about the pitching in the beginning, the starting pitching. We'll talk about relief pitching as well, of course, because there's been a lot of it, obviously. And we'll talk about the hot start for a couple of different Phillies, especially, of course, Reese Hoskins and Scott Kingery. Without further ado, let's start it off. Yo, Phillies Nation! Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. It is the Phillies Nation Monday minicast. First one of these, episode number 39 of the podcast. I'm Tim Malcolm. Welcome to a new experiment we'll be trying over the season. Every other Monday we will do the minicast, giving you a recap of the week that was in Phillies baseball. We will still do the regular podcast on the other alternating Mondays, so next week we'll have the regular podcast. And before we get into the events of the last week, for the podcast next week, I want your questions. It's mailbag time. So if you have your questions about Phillies baseball, and yes, I know a lot of them will be about Gabe Kapler or about Matt Klintak, try to spread out your questions. Ask about some other things too, please. Please send them to me either on Twitter at Phillies Nation or send them over to email, tim at philliesnation.com or on Facebook. You can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash philliesnation and ask your question there. But like I said, don't ask if they're going to fire Gabe Kapler. Don't ask if they're going to fire Matt Klintak because here's the first answer to those questions. No, they're not going to fire Gabe Kapler. They're not going to fire Matt Klintak. The Phillies are not going to do anything that drastic right now. That would be ridiculous, okay? I know it's been done before in baseball where managers have been fired very, very early in a season in which they just started. This isn't happening here. It's not happening. The Phillies have invested way too much time and money in what they are trying to accomplish with Kapler, with Klintak, and everybody else in this front office and beyond. This is an organizational move that they made with this Kapler hiring. They really believe in him, and they're not going to fire him. Of course, people are already asking for his firing because the first three games of the season were interesting. They weren't even they weren't even atrocious. They didn't go 0-3 and lose every game 13-0. Yes, they lost by 13 in one of the games, But they didn't go 0-3. The first game of the series, obviously that could have went in the Phillies' favor, but it didn't. Aaron Nola threw 68 pitches, was in the sixth inning when Kapler came out and removed him from the game. 
I would have liked to have seen Nola go all six. At least. He was pitching phenomenally. He looked like the ace that we all think he's going to be. But Kapler had his reasons. Um, we don't know exactly all those reasons. But what we have discerned is that the third time around the batting order, Aaron Nola is a different pitcher than the first two times around the batting order. And those stats bear out. Second reason, Freddie Freeman does hit Aaron Nola pretty well in his career. And with Freeman coming up to the plate, Kapler probably thought this was a good time to bring in a lefty, uh, get Freeman out for this sixth inning spot, and then hopefully by that point the Phillies would have a good lead and they wouldn't need to worry about Freeman next time he came up. That didn't work out for them. Hobie Milner came in, gave up a home run, and the game turned from there. The Braves stormed back, tied the game, then won the game in the ninth inning. It was terrible. We wanted to just go outside and bury our heads in whatever snow was left on the ground before the next snowstorm, whatever. We didn't feel good about it. But that is not grounds for firing. Taking a pitcher out a little too early and relying on a bullpen and a five-run lead is not grounds for firing. It's actually, some people would say, a smart move. And look, we could talk about analytics, and I know a lot of people see the word analytics and they get really kind of jittery. It's a trigger word. People think that analytics mean that a bunch of guys who are small and thin and wear glasses and have pen, uh, have, have, have protectors, uh, ink protectors, pen protectors in their, in their shirts, that they're going to come in and run the game and tell you what to do, and they're not going to make baseball fun for you. Th- that's not what happens when we talk about analytics. When we talk about analytics, we're talking about information that has become available to us over the past couple decades that was not available to us in the past. This information gives us a better insight on what happens in baseball, how players are so good, how players are not so good, that and the other thing. We use that number, we use those numbers to better understand our players and to hopefully win more games. Teams that have employed analytics over the past couple years have done a better job at winning games than teams that have not employed analytics. If you go back to the mid-2000s, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland Athletics were among the very first teams to employ analytics. They had very low payrolls, which means that they can't bring in a lot of great talent in their primes, right? They have to rely on players who are younger or maybe even a lot older and not so good. But with analytics, they get good results out of them because they're employing strategies that other teams weren't able to employ before because they didn't have the data to back it up. So the A's were really good. The Rays were really good. The Rays made the World Series in 2008 against the Phillies. Remember that? Why? They drafted extremely well, thanks in part to analytics. And they were able to build a really good major league roster because they found undervalued players because they saw through the data that they were good in certain things. But if they can employ them in different strategies that were beneficial to what they were trying to do, then maybe they would get the most out of them, which they did. I mean, Grant Balfour became a good pitcher for a year or two because the Rays made him a good pitcher because of the data that they had on him. It works. The Red Sox soon employed it, and because they're a big market team, they're allowed to use so many other resources along with those analytics to be really good. And the Red Sox won multiple world championships between 2007 and 2015 because, in part, of analytics. Other teams have jumped onto it, and just about every team in baseball has jumped full into the analytics revolution. The Phillies were the last team to do it. Ruben Amaro Jr., famous for not understanding how plate appearances work and at-bats work, uh, 
was the last general manager to really think hard about how analytics work in a front office situation. Remember how the Phillies were playing in 2012, 13, 14? Yeah, it's because the Phillies, in part, were not embracing what was happening in baseball. And every other team was embracing it. So now the Phillies are all in on analytics. And look, yes, what we're seeing from Gabe Kapler in the first couple games of the 2018 season is a guy who was really in on analytics. As far as we can tell, right? Bringing in bullpen arms in the fourth inning of a game or the fifth inning of a game regularly, not just when a player is struggling. That doesn't happen often in baseball. Removing guys from the mound in the fourth inning to bring in other relievers, making multiple pitching changes in the fourth and fifth innings, again, that doesn't happen often in baseball. Typically, if you go back 25, 30 years ago, if a guy was not pitching well to start the game and you had to remove him in the fourth for a reliever, you were hoping that that reliever would last three innings. Well, on Saturday, when Vince Velasquez was removed from the game in the third inning, he brought in who else but Hobie Milner, and we'll get to that in a second. Milner lasted a third of an inning and then was removed, and then Jake Thompson came in to start the next inning. That's something that we don't typically see from major league teams. Gabe Kapler is doing things that teams haven't done in the past. These are non-traditional things. And yeah, it looks really jarring and it looks very unusual. And teams are pointing and laughing at the Phillies, right? Other fans are pointing and laughing at the Phillies because they seem unusual. We need more than three games to see if this will work. We've heard about small sample sizes. It holds true in everything. In baseball... We don't like to make any generalizations about a player's performance until he's at least played like 40 games because anything below that is a small sample. Guys go into slumps for 20 games. Guys go into hot streaks for 20 games. You can't see any normalization typically until about a month and a half into the season. So you'll see a lot of fan graphs articles where they always lead it off with, it's a small sample size, but let's take a look at this. They're not making generalizations. They're telling you right off the bat that we can't really make good judgments about players because they don't have enough numbers in the data field yet. So we can't tell how good Kapler is after three games. Yes, it looks weird. Yes, there's been some questionable moves. I, for the most part, question the Nola move because he was pitching really well and he's your best pitcher and he's the guy that you want to lean on in that situation. But at the same time, I understand the argument that it's the first game of the year and Nola hasn't pitched more than four innings in spring training and you want to ease this guy into regular season play. I see that argument too. So I can't, after three games, say, well, the Nola move sucked, fire him. That's not the way to do it, guys. If you want Gabe Kapler fired it's more than likely that you didn't like him in the first place, that you were wary of analytics and you thought, like I said, that you'd have these nerds walking around with pocket protectors trying to change the game. Again, that's not happening here. Give it some time. Gabe Kapler could be a really good manager. He could be a really bad manager. We could see what happens here. I mean, after 40 games, 50 games, if he's a bad manager, then we could start making some judgments on him. But we have to see this through. And I know that you want to see a good Phillies team. I know that we looked at the April schedule and saw, oh my God, they're playing the Braves, the Marlins. They're playing the Mets a little bit, and they can beat the Mets. They're playing the Padres and the Reds. They should win a lot of games, and they should go out to a really hot start. This team should be great. And I know that you saw the Eagles win the Super Bowl, 
And I know that we've seen the Sixers turn it around and become this great team. And we're looking for the Phillies to be right with them. We're hungry for more success in Philadelphia. Be patient. Just be patient. The 76ers are good because we were patient with them for three seasons. As the team systematically got rid of all the Detrius and they cleaned it out. And now they have a team that started from the ground up with foundational talent that they built through the draft. And they supplemented that with really good role players that they found either from the G League or from trades or what have you. The Sixers were patient. We were patient with them. Be patient with the Phillies. Yes, this is not a team that's going to lose 100 games. And if, they are, if they're going to lose 100 games, then yeah, Gabe Kapler should be on the hot seat. Absolutely. But as of right now, as we're looking at this team, they're not a 100-loss team. There's too much talent here. Give them some time. See how it works. See how Kapler's strategy works. I think it's a strategy that might be ahead of its time, and maybe it's too ahead of its time. Maybe other teams are not going to follow along, and maybe what Kapler's doing is a little too extreme, and not everything's in place yet for it to work. That could happen too. But we have to give it time. It's too early in the season. Three games don't tell you anything, especially three games right out of spring training when you're playing a really hungry and young Atlanta team who, by the way, was hitting everything. Atlanta was dinking and dunking and BABIP out of control, especially in that final game of the series. I would not take these three games as any big indicator of how the Phillies are going to do this year. Let's see how they do over the next month and a half before we start making any generalizations. Well, now that I gave you the disclaimer on small sample sizes, let's talk about two players who are playing really well to start the season. Don't worry, we're not going into statistical analysis here. We're just going to go by the eye test. Reese Hoskins. What else can we say about him? Good start to the season, hitting 500 with a 583 OBP and 1,000 slugging percentage. Three games are going to do that to you. He has a home run. It was well hit. Upper deck shot. He looks great. He's taking pitches which is the most important thing. He's working these at-bats. He's making the pitchers throw a lot of pitches. He's the same Reese Hoskins that we saw in his prime there in 2017, hitting all those home runs. 0.4 wins above replacement already, even with bad defense. And that's one thing to look at very closely as the year begins, how he adjusts in left field. Yes, he's been a little bit suspect out there, missing a play or two, and then his arm from left field did not look very good, especially in one play, I think that was on Saturday. Doesn't look great, but it's a long season. He will have a lot more experience as we go on. We'll see how he adjusts, and hopefully he does become a little bit better as time goes on in left field. But offensively, there's nothing to complain about. He's having a very good start to the year. Scott Kingery. We all love Scott Kingery. And, of course, we all love the fact that he's with the team, got that big contract extension, and he's playing. He'll be playing a lot. He's not going to play every day. But he did play third base and shortstop to start the season, sitting, uh, standing in there for Michael Franco in Game 2 and then standing in for J.P. Crawford in Game 3. Hitting 444 with a 444 OBP and a 667 slugging percentage again. Nine plate appearances, so you're not going to get a lot of, you know, a lot of, lot of detail there with that batting average. But he does look good as well. Has an extra base hit. Has a couple hits. His swing looks really good. He's taking some pitches. Uh, he's fast on the base pass, as we, as we saw. 
he looks really nice. But the defense is something I wanted to mention as well. He already does look like he is very fluid at shortstop and third base. He seems to make pretty average plays. He hasn't had any tough plays to make. Uh, there has been a little confusion with sort of the alignments a little bit. Um, and, of course, the Phillies have been uh, victim, I guess, to the shifting. They shifted Nick Markakis more than a couple times over the series, and Markakis was able to beat them, mostly because Markakis is a veteran hitter who knows how to savvily beat the shift. But, nonetheless, Kingery has looked pretty fluid out there in the infield, and it's been nice to see him just pick right up and be a nice addition to this ball club. Also, we've seen some nice things from Carlos Santana, who, yes, he's not hitting the ball, but he's taking a lot of pitches. He looks like the kind of offensive player that we want on this team. And we'll, of course, see those numbers start to normalize as the season goes on. Really good start for a couple guys in the meat of the lineup. And I got to tell you, I get really excited as we get closer to the top of the lineup. And Reese Hoskins' name comes a lot closer to the on-deck circle because Hoskins clearly looks like the guy that every player on the other team does not want to see at the plate. Once I see Reese Hoskins get to that plate, I get really excited because I think he can do anything out there. And that's something that we haven't seen in quite a while from the Phillies. It's good to have a player like that. I can't wait to see Reese Hoskins on a live level, and I'll be watching them on Tuesday night when they play the Mets at City Field live, so I can't wait to see Hoskins out there for that game. As for the games ahead, well, Monday's game was postponed. It did snow in the New York area on Monday morning. It did stop around 10, 11 o'clock. The roads were pretty good in the afternoon. The sun came out, melted a lot of the snow away. There's still some snow left, and potentially the tarp and the field is a little bit wet there at City Field, and maybe the seats are too wet. I don't know, but they postponed the game. There will be a doubleheader on July 9th. It will be a one-time doubleheader, so if you have tickets to that game on July 9th, you will get two games, the price of one, which is my favorite kind of doubleheader. The series will start in earnest on Tuesday night. I will be at that game live. The Mets will be going with Matt Harvey for Tuesday night. He was pushed back a day, so he will start that game. Noah Syndergaard will go for the Mets on Wednesday against the Phillies. Uh, The Phillies have not yet announced who they will throw in the series. It was supposed to be Ben Lively throwing on Monday. We'll see if he gets pushed back to Tuesday or if they decide to stick with Aaron Nola, who was the regular starter for Tuesday. We don't know as of right now. That may have changed by the time this got up, but that was the situation at the moment at least. So that's what's coming up here for the Phillies. And then, of course, the season opens at home. Uh, on Friday, or excuse me, Thursday, as they take on the Marlins. That game is was scheduled, at least, to be a uh, Nick Pavetta start. We'll see if things change there. Um, and then, as the series continues, it will then be Jake Arrieta making his first start, I believe, toward the end of that series. July, uh, April 8th is his first start, so that would be the Sunday game, the Saturday game. We don't know exactly how they're going to change the rotation if they do, but that is what we're looking at right now. So, Phillies have the Mets coming up at City Field. The Mets went 2-1 against the Cardinals in their opening series. Hopefully the Phillies can get back on track with a series win. And then it'll be home for the home opener, which will be Thursday against the Marlins. I'll be there as well. We'll have more on Twitter and Instagram, at Phillies Nation Twitter, at Phillies Nation underscore Instagram. And you can always find us at philliesnation.com for everything you need Phillies. That's it. Look. As I said in the beginning, three games. Give it some time. I'll be one of the first ones to get really upset about Gabe Kapler if we're still in this situation in late May. Okay? I promise. For the Phillies Nation Podcast, I'm Tim Malcolm. 
talk to you later.